This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years. I started Self Work about five years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice to try to explain what therapy is, what good mental health treatment is. And I wanted to reach those of you who may already be very interested in psychological and emotional issues, maybe you're in therapy, to those of you who have just been introduced to some kind of problem mental health issue, or maybe a relationship conflict that you struggle to work through, but also to a third group of you, to those of you who'd say, oh, those therapists, you know, they're kind of (laughs) wacky. Yeah, I'm a little wacky, actually, but I'm a therapist because I got good therapy, and I'm a firm believer in it. So self-work isn't therapy, but hopefully you can learn something about the therapeutic process and about those kinds of issues that you'll consider trying it out if you need to. I want to thank someone who left me a review on Amazon for my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. They said, I picked up this book and couldn't put it down. Be certain to check in on the seemingly strong people in your life and see if they are mentally okay. And I would add to that, are they emotionally okay? Do they ever talk about their emotions? But thank you so much. I wish I had your name so I could thank you in person, but please know how much your review is appreciated. You know, disappointment is something we all have to work through, but how well do you do it? I had the chance this past week to do just that. I got disappointed and have tried to watch myself go through the different stages of changing my perspective, allowing myself to grieve a bit, but also trying to see what had happened as part of the larger scheme. Of course, with the backdrop of the battles for life itself going on in the world, there's a constant dramatic and powerful perspective to be had there. Yet it's important to know that you can work through disappointment that's linked to something you thought would happen, had counted on, put energy into, and then you see it vanish. The listener voicemail is from someone who listened to me on YouTube, and I was talking about enmeshment. Not only has she recognized that she and her mom were highly enmeshed, now she's obsessed with finding out information about it and doesn't know what to do. She has a label, but now what? I'll do my best to give her some ideas. So today in this episode, sponsored by BetterHelp, we'll focus on the ins and outs of disappointment, a bit about what's actually happening in your brain, interestingly enough. And we'll touch on what's called locus of control. And if you ever took Psychology 101, you probably talked about locus of control. And of course, we'll always talk about what you can do about disappointment. If you ever studied psychology, and especially its history, You would have heard of locus of control. What is that? It's basically how much you believe you have control over what happens to you in life. It's a basic idea that was formulated about when I was born, so it's a little on the older side, but it's worth mentioning. This is how it's defined. If you believe that you have control over what happens, then you have what psychologists refer to as an internal locus of control. If you believe that you have no control over what happens and that external variables are to blame, then you have what is known as an external locus control. So it's on a spectrum, internal to external. 
So if you stub your toe on a chair and you have more of an internal locus of control, you'll say, I should have watched where I was going. If you have more of an external locus of control, you'll shout to your partner, why did you leave that chair out where I could run into it? So that's the black and white of it, where the internal locus of control seems to have to do with having a good sense of self-efficacy or believing that you are the master of your own fate, so to speak. An external locus of control may tend to lead to more of a victim stance, life's out to get me kind of attitude. And that's proven to you when something goes wrong. Where this is too simple may be obvious because really bad, tragic things happen to people all the time. And when it's traumatic, so much of the time, what happened was out of their control. But we're not talking about trauma today. We're talking about disappointment. Let's look at the locus of control as a spectrum. And remember, no one is totally one way or the other. But these are statements that might reflect an external locus of control. I often feel that I have little control over my life or what happens to me. It isn't worth setting goals or making plans because too many things can happen that are outside of my control. Life is a game of chance. Individuals have little influence over the events of the world. Those are external locus of control kind of statements or beliefs. Here's internal locus of control. If you work hard and commit yourself to a goal, you can achieve anything. There is no such thing as fate or destiny. If you study hard and are well prepared, you can do well. Luck has little to do with success. It's mostly a matter of dedication and effort. Now, you can hear how both of these statements or the set of statements are pretty skewed, but I wanted to offer really clear-cut examples of the extremes of both and know that most people live right dab in the middle. But what does this have to do with disappointment? Actually, a lot. First, what kind of disappointment are we really talking about today? Disappointment can certainly be a facet of trauma, Being hurt by someone who's supposed to care for you, for example. You looked for safety. You expected it and didn't find it. That's trauma. But again, we're not talking about trauma today. I've disappointed myself several times in my lifetime. I've been remorseful and carried around shame, but that's not what we're focusing on today either. Self-disappointment or guilt is another topic. The kind of disappointment we're focusing on is when you expect something positive and have at least perceived that what you expect is highly likely to happen and that it's a good thing, maybe even a great thing, and it falls through. You don't get the promotion, or you were fired in the company's reorganization. You didn't win an election that you thought you would. You were beaten in a game by someone else who didn't have the experience you do or who you or your team were expected to beat. You married and divorced. Disappointment can ravage your sense of well-being. This kind of disappointment is created from expectation. And there's a saying out there, expectation is the root of all heartache. Well, how could we possibly live without expectation? That would be the case with someone who's so rooted in the present moment that what happens in the next is never thought about. Hmm, that's pretty difficult to pull off for most of us. From my perspective, we use expectation to keep sane. We tend to believe we know what's going to happen in the next minute. That's what keeps us from being hypervigilant. And when we lose that ability to feel like we know what's likely to happen in the next bit of time, that can be really damaging. Because feeling as if you know, having expectations that are then met, create a sense of safety and security. So, okay, what was I disappointed about last week? I've been working on ideas for a workbook for Perfectly Hidden Depression. Now, it's true as I look now, I was trying to fit a round peg into a square hole, but I thought I could do it. 
Now that I hear myself say that, it doesn't make much sense. I tried once, and it was turned down. That was a couple of months ago. So I dug down harder for another couple of months and tried again. Last week, I got the hard no from the publisher. Anytime you read the phrase, although I appreciate the work I can see on this, you know bad juju is coming your way. So I had to work through disappointment. Here were the stages I found myself going through. First, I cried. Then I cried about crying because I felt stupid. I beat up on myself for a bit. Then I stopped that. Then I let my heart and my mind start wondering if this could be a blessing. Could I look at this with more perspective? And I found that, yes, I could. And now I'm writing and talking about it, which is always cathartic. As Eeyore says in Winnie the Pooh, weeds are flowers, too, once you get to know them. (laughs) He was, I think, my favorite character in Winnie the Pooh. I thought it might be interesting, albeit briefly, to look at what your brain is doing when you're disappointed. What's going on neurologically? But before we do that, let's hear today from BetterHelp. I want to say, with the past two years of doing virtual therapy under my belt, I'm a believer in the idea that that kind of therapy can be a help. I don't think it's the same as face-to-face therapy, but often due to where you live, your financial situation, or your own reticence to go see a therapist in person, BetterHelp just might be what could help you. So let's hear from BetterHelp and a wonderful offer they have. BetterHelp has been a sponsor of Self Work for at least a year or more, and I'm so glad to have them on board. BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's actual professional therapy online. And as I've done much more virtual work during the pandemic, I've seen firsthand how effective and convenient virtual work is. When you contact BetterHelp, You'll get a response from a licensed therapist in as little as 48 hours, and they'll make sure you feel your therapist is a wonderful match for you. I, of course, tried this, and I was impressed with the therapist they presented to me as well as what the therapist themselves offered. And BetterHelp and I want 2022 to be your most mentally healthy year ever. So just visit BetterHelp.com slash self-work, and you'll get a special offer to get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash self-work. Hope you'll give it a try, especially getting 2022 off to a great start. When I read articles about the brain, I usually have to read them through several times because I'm not accustomed to the terms and I have very little expertise. In fact, I have no expertise in understanding brain structure and functioning. But what I found were two interesting facts about what was happening in the brain when you feel disappointed. First, there seems to be a structure called the lateral habenula, or it could be habenula. I'm going to say habenula. That's important in disappointment and depression. Here's a couple of sentences about it, and hang on, there's a lot of neurological language. I quote, Most clinicians have probably never heard of the habenula. It is a tiny region in the diencephalon, wedged between the stalk of the pineal gland and the thalamus. I'm sure you know just where that is. (laughs) I don't. But the lateral habenula in particular is notable for receiving inputs from the basal ganglia and limbic system. And the limbic system is where, you know, we process emotions. And projecting broadly to dopaminergic and serotonergic neurons in the midbrain. That's dopamine and serotonin, which is the primary neurotransmitter in a lot of antidepressants. 
Studies are increasingly suggesting a novel, circuit-based paradigm through which the habenula may be causally involved in the onset of depression and other psychiatric illnesses. Okay, but then there's a second interesting finding. It seems to be a rare thing that two neurotransmitters fire at the same time in the brain, but that's exactly what happens when we feel disappointment. Listen to this. The feeling of, oh damn, or what a disappointment results from the precise firing of two neurotransmitters in the brain at the same time. This simultaneously dual firing is actually quite rare in the brain. It gets even more interesting as both of these neurotransmitters are opposite in nature. One is excitatory and the other is dampening. What we're talking about are glutamate and GABA. If more GABA than glutamate is fired, then you'll be happy and jovial. But if the amount of glutamate is greater, then you're in for a sad, disappointed mood, even if you can't fully explain why. Numerous studies have been performed on certain animals to study the effects of increased activity in the lateral habenula of the brain. In one such study, monkeys were expecting a sip of fruit juice, but didn't get it, resulting in sulking and disappointment. Quite interestingly, their brain showed increased activity in the lateral habenula region. Okay, enough of that. Now you can ask people, do you know what a lateral habenula is? <laughs> I thought it was interesting that there may be a link between disappointment and depression neurologically. And I guess I could feel my own habenula firing this past week when I worked through disappointment. So how do you work through disappointment? How do you balance acknowledging what's yours to see? Maybe you had something to do with things not working out the way you'd hoped, figuring out what had little to do with you at all. And it's just simply about feeling sad, getting perspective, and moving on. I'm not sure which is best to do first, seeing what your internal locus of control might interpret or acknowledge versus what your external locus of control might help you see. There could be trouble with either direction if you're not careful. Here's a quote from the Harvard Business Review. Far too many people, when faced with disappointment, tend to attribute negative life events to their personal failings. They resort to obsessional self-blaming as they feel ashamed or humiliated of not measuring up to the image of their ideal self. As a result, they direct their anger inward to themselves. That's overdoing the internal locus of control. That last sentence is mine. Others, however, will turn their anger outward toward others, to people who didn't fulfill their expectations. It will contribute to feelings of spite, vindictiveness, and bitterness. And again, this is me. That's the external locus of control in overdrive. So what I'm going to offer here are seven steps that I've observed in myself and in my patients as important when you're working through disappointment. Number one, grieve first. And remember, grief has many feelings attached to it, ranging from sadness to anger to fear. Even if your grief is appearing as anger, from my perspective, that can be different from blame. You're simply angry. I, for example, was angry about the use of my time. It was hard not to think of it as a waste. My rational mind knew it wasn't, but allowing myself to grieve had to come first. Again, So many people say, well, this is just disappointment. This isn't a big deal. I shouldn't be sad about this. Go on and let yourself be sad, at least for a short while. Number two, getting perspective. Sometimes I hear from people that they don't feel justified in grieving a disappointment. It's not a big deal. And I don't suggest wallowing in self-pity, but you're honoring the energy you did put into whatever it was. So you're honoring you. Parents who tell their children, for example, to stop whimpering about a disappointment 
Just wait till you're older. You'll have something to be sad about then. Those parents are taking their own bitterness out on their kids. What you deem as disappointing is heavily dependent on your age, your circumstances. Often what seems like it's an intolerable disappointment with time is balanced out by perspective. But when you encourage your children to work through their sadness and their disappointment, you're modeling for them that it's something that can be grieved and let go of. Maybe this disappointment does lead to another, but often it doesn't. Now again, let's keep this distinct from trauma. If you were in an accident and lost your ability to walk, that's trauma, not simply disappointment. So first, grieve, then get perspective. You can do that through talking it through or journaling. Number three, Consider and acknowledge what your own part in the disappointment is. Now, this is going to be utilizing your internal locus of control. How this occurs is very dependent on what the disappointment is. Using myself as an example again, I realized that I never quite got into the groove that I reached when I wrote my first book. And I recognized that that was my part of it, even though I pushed myself to continue, but it never felt quite right. I didn't really listen to my gut very well. Now, that didn't mean that it didn't hurt to hear no. After I'd been encouraged to turn chapters in, it was like I'd been invited to a party, and then the bouncer wouldn't let me in. But acknowledging my part helps me learn from the experience. What do I need to remember going forward? Here's number four. Acknowledge what you couldn't control. This is utilizing your external locus of control. What are the aspects of the situation that you had little to no control over? For example, again, in my case, the sales of the original book weren't in my control, totally, obviously. This particular publisher also has a distinct pattern to their workbooks, and I just couldn't seem to fashion my own into theirs. And maybe, let's face it, I'm not so hot at creating workbooks, although that seems to be more of an internal thing, doesn't it? This aspect of recognizing the external locus of control doesn't take you off the hook, but it is realizing what you could do, what was in your power, and what you could not do. Number five, build back your energy and enthusiasm. Turn the page and redirect. You're sad, maybe a little sulky. Do things that will build back pleasure and fulfillment. Do things that you know either practically, pragmatically, or emotionally fill you up. For me, that's walking. I'm rejuvenated when I do that, or when I work out, or I fix a really good Italian meal, listening to a book I've been meaning to, cleaning out a drawer, volunteering at the local food bank. Something as simple as changing the sheets on the bed can feel like you're turning the page. Anything to create an experience of moving on. Number six, look for the windows that are opening as one door closes. There's always another path to travel, even if it's not the one you believe would be your life. This awareness is true unless you get stuck in disappointment, self-pity, or bitterness. And you certainly don't want to do that. So breathe, talk to friends or mentors about another direction you could go. Open your mind to that direction, because maybe it'll be an even healthier or better one. Number seven, I call this reassessing your disappointment. Pick a date in the future where you're going to take time to see how your perspective has changed. It's March the 13th when I'm writing this, so I would pull out my calendar and put a reminder on May the 13th, two months from now, how will I see things then? How did you move forward? You're looking back and assessing how you handled your disappointment. Are you still a little? Are you living it out? Or have you let it go? And what did you learn along the way? 
Maybe one of the most surprising disappointments of my life at the time was being fired from my first job as a therapist right out of graduate school. I'd gotten the job. I'd worked there about eight months, and then they let me go, was the euphemism they called it. And I can still remember how that felt, and it was not good. Yet, it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me because of what I learned from it. And I won't go into that because I could probably be sued for libel if I did, so it'll just be between you and me. I hope that helps. Let's go over once again the seven steps. Grieve first. Start getting perspective right off the bat. Consider and acknowledge what your own part and what you were disappointed in is. That's utilizing your internal locus of control. Acknowledge what you couldn't control, utilizing your external locus of control. That's number four. Number five, build back your energy enthusiasm by choosing to do things that will bring you pleasure. And those dopamine receptors will love that. Number six, look for the windows that are opening as that door closes. Again, you might need friends. I'm going to meet with my staff. My staff, that sounds so important. I'm going to meet with the people I work with, and we're going to see what kind of ideas that we can float by. And number seven, reassess your disappointment. Take time in the next two or three months or even six months to look back and say, all right, how do I perceive that now? What am I holding on to and what do I still need to work on to let go? I hope that's helpful in your own working through disappointment. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. Here's our listener voicemail. Hi, Margaret. I watched your video interview on YouTube about enmeshment between mother and daughter. And that is my story. Thank you so much for I feel very validated. I didn't even know what kind of words to put to describe those feelings and experiences. So my question is, how do I take care of myself? Now I just found out because what I mean by that is I found myself obsessed with getting more information about this issue. And there have been so much trauma in this process of being parentified or enmeshed where my mom was probably a sex and love addict or maybe narcissistic. So she had constant catastrophe and crisis in her life, which I tried to help her go through. And she eventually divorced my father in a very violent way. So there was a lot of hospitalizations, seeing my parents in hospitals. My dad had a car accident during the divorce. My mom had a surgery during the divorce from various reasons. There was just so much trauma. So my head is telling me, oh, I'm a mom now. I got to heal these things fast. So I can't stop reading. Is that going to traumatize myself again? How do I take care of myself? What I heard when I first listened to this voicemail was some relief that her complicated dynamic with primarily her mom, what she'd been experiencing for years as her life becoming focused on what her mother needed, and that had not seemed right. That dynamic now had a name, and that name was enmeshment. She'd been her mother's caregiver and emergency service provider for quite a long time. She called it a pseudo-adult role. And now she is a mother herself, and certainly not wanting to pass on what she'd experienced. But the second time I listened, I heard more fear, that somehow she wouldn't be able to get enough information about enmeshment to avoid doing that to her own children or to change things with her mom. It was a little unclear to me how stable her dad might be. 
She said he had a wreck, but people can have wrecks or accidents that aren't necessarily part of creating chaos, which her mother certainly seemed to be embroiled in. With the hospitalizations this listener mentioned, I think she inferred that those were her mom's, but she might have been including her dad's accident. It also sounded as if her mom had some kind of chronic mental condition, which only complicates how she might extricate herself from needing to fix her mom's situation. And certainly, she sounds exhausted. But I think my major reaction was that she's looking for answers primarily in what she could learn in information. And I don't think information alone is going to help her change. Many of you have heard me say that insight is vital, but you get hope from behavior change. And that behavior change may have much more to do with working through her emotions and her pain about her relationship with her mom. I do think that my book might be helpful to her with its 60 exercises in learning how to connect with painful emotions, although I hate to sound as if I'm trying to sell a book. But therapy is likely called for here. These patterns that have occurred over many years are entrenched. You add her mom's mental instability into the picture, and it can become even more complicated to begin establishing better boundaries. It's much more likely that she'll be able to change her behavior in the present if she works through her emotions created in the past. She's never been given the opportunity to focus on herself and her needs, and it's time to do just that. It can take lots of practice to change old patterns, but this listener has made the first step in contacting me. I'll also include my talk on YouTube on enmeshment for those of you who might like to listen. That'll be in the show notes. I want to thank you all for being here today. Again, I've already mentioned my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. If you're struggling with maintaining a lot of emotional control, you don't really know how to express your feelings, then reading it might be helpful to you. You might find yourself in those pages. It's available anywhere you buy books or at perfectlyhiddendepression.com. You can get a newsletter from me, a weekly newsletter, that presents my podcast and my blog post for the week, so it's a really easy way to keep in touch. You do that by going to drmargaretrutherford.com and subscribing. You'll also get a free little ebook I wrote several years ago on how to know you're getting good therapy. So that's kind of fun. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. Feel free to email me. And then, of course, just like this listener did, please use the SpeakPipe function because I get to hear your inflection, your story told by you, and that really gives me some clues about what you might need to hear from me. And last but not least, I have a closed Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We had a little impromptu Zoom meeting this weekend. There were about a dozen of us there, and we got to talk and get to know one another a little bit better. It was really great. I'd love to have you there. Thank you for taking your time to listen to self-work and sharing your enjoyment of it with other people. Please take very good care in these troubled times. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.